the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the uh, epistle today, St. Paul uses the image of clay jars to describe the cooperation of people with God, this cooperation of God's transcendent power with our frailty and our weakness. And to make this synergy work well, this cooperation, the right conditions have to be established in us. These conditions have to do with us having the right disposition and attitude and spiritual state of mind and heart. In the gospel today, we have a narrative description of these right conditions embodied in the figure of Simon. So today we'll delve into the gospel story as, as a type or an example or a model for progress in our spiritual lives, to see how we also can live as jars of clay with the priceless treasure of Christ in us. And though it may sound bleak, we actually begin with failure. Simon has experienced failure in catching fish, and he's been toiling all night. And by night, we can understand symbolically for us, perhaps, the night of of the absence of God in our lives. Often we also experience failure, barrenness, unfruitfulness, things not working out, failure in our families, failure in our work, failure in mastering ourselves and achieving gains and progress in the spiritual life, failure in trying to pray. Though there may be many reasons why this may be the case, if we apply this story metaphorically to us, we could say that we fail in aspects of our lives simply because we haven't included Christ in these parts. He's not in the boat with us, so to speak, in parts of our lives. And this experience of failure is allowed by God so that we may know that we cannot do anything without God, that every part of our lives needs His blessing We have to realize finally and without a doubt that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights and is not inherent to us, as is written in the book of James chapter 1. And as Christ says in John 15, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And Christ models this in his intimate connection with his Father in his earthly life. To connect this back to the epistle, we could say that trying to succeed in anything without God's blessing and God's cooperation is like holding a broken and chipped clay jar and trying to convince oneself that this is the priceless treasure itself. What does it mean then to have Christ in our boat, Christ with us in the things that we do? I think it means several things. On a macro level on the big picture, it means to ask for God's will and direction in our major life choices, work, our home, study, whom to marry, etc., and that we do this with discernment, we do this with spiritual guidance and much prayer. On a micro level, on a day-by-day level, it means asking for God's blessing each day before any work is undertaken, to continue to bring every aspect of our lives in line with God's commandments every action, every decision, and eventually every thought and every word, every minute of the day. And this is a great art, and that will probably take us the rest of our lives to try to master that. More than that, it's to have a deep awareness that on our own we cannot do life. We cannot love, 
We cannot hope. We cannot help anyone. On the contrary, we have the capacity to destroy everything, to grow nothing, to love no one, and to live utterly meaningless and self-indulgent lives away from God. Another aspect that we see of spiritual progress then in the figure of Simon is that of humility. And this is expressed in two main ways here. The first way is in sacrificial obedience, a sacrifice of one's own will. He has toiled all night, and no doubt he just wants to wash his nets like the other fishermen and go home and rest. Yet he makes room for Christ and is obedient to him. And Christ tells him to let down his nets again, probably the very thing that he doesn't want to do at that point in time. As a fisherman, he knows it's a waste of time. And now this carpenter is telling him what to do? I don't know about you, but I don't respond too well when someone tries to tell me my job, right? I don't exactly take the opportunity to learn some humility when this situation arises. But Simon does just this, and it's a decisive moment when he says, but at your word, I will let down the nets, a sacrifice and uh, in obedience. To use the imagery of the epistle, he allows himself to be molded as clay in the hands of the potter. And what's interesting is that Christ doesn't tell him, look, if you do it, I'll give you the biggest catch you've ever seen, right? There's no promised reward. And this is the essence of true obedience, to give up one's hopes, ideas, one's desire for benefits, one's will, one's sense of self-importance for the sake of that which is being submitted to. The difference now is that Christ is in the boat with him, but Christ won't bring in the catch without Simon's cooperation. So it's a small but essential action. And we see then that sacrificial obedience can be the, the catalyst or the spark for the action of God in our lives. For us, this might mean trying again to pray when we don't want to or we've tried before and it hasn't worked. Trying again to be holy in obedience to Christ's commands when we've failed again and again. Trying again to show love in our families in the midst of just utter hopelessness. Or trying again with people who are just impossible. With Christ, with him, Simon can now do what was impossible and the blessing is beyond what he deserves. When we do things in obedience to Christ and with Christ's blessing and involvement, we also will be able to achieve more than we could imagine. And it's here we see another aspect of humility that is essential in spiritual progress, and it's an acknowledgement of unworthiness. Simon's close proximity to Christ and to such undeserved favor and blessing brings a confession of his own sinfulness. He could have boasted about his great catch, but he passes this test responding instead with self-effacement. Depart from me, Lord. Now, we are called to be perfect, but God knows our weaknesses. Often what he wants is for us simply to acknowledge and accept that we are not worthy, to show that we know that the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us, as it says in the epistle. And this is the wisdom and the beauty of the pre-communion prayers that we pray prior to coming to church to receive communion. They don't make us worthy. We are not worthy. 
They make us prepared, and we accept the fact that we are not worthy to receive the body and blood of our Lord. And this is the great risk that God takes with us humans, to bless us beyond uh, what we could ever conceive or achieve on our own, and so risking that we might become proud and think that we are independent of God. If we forget that it's His presence with us in the boat that is accomplishing every good, then we will return to ruin, back to the stage of failure, right? So that we may learn our lesson again. And throughout the history of Christianity, this is what we see. People who had received great blessing, great favor from God, and somehow thought that perhaps they, or their pet project, or their own particular church, was the treasure, and they lost their way. But in orthodoxy, we see that the more true progress someone makes, the greater the treasure that someone carries, the more humble that person becomes. The more advanced, the more pressures and hardships build up around holy people. Humbling circumstances, in other words, surround the person to ensure that humility and reliance on God is maintained. Just look at the life of any saint, and you'll see how this is true. Let's take a look at one saint, St. Paul. Let's see what he says about his life. Is it all a bed of roses because he's so holy? No, this is what he says. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And he concludes with this, if I must boast, he says, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. In this way, what we see then is that the difficulties and the problems, all these things that humble us, become the way that God shows his great love for us, because they are the very way that help us remain connected to him, help us keep the treasure within us. We can understand then what St. Paul means in the epistle today when he mentions that he is always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in his body. And we know what he means once again in 2 Corinthians 12 when he says that for the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. To conclude then, It's only with these qualities, acknowledging that without God we can do nothing, and humility expressed in sacrificial obedience and awareness of our unworthiness, it's only with these things can we be entrusted with carrying the precious treasure of the presence of God to others. And we see that expressed in Christ's invitation to Simon to join in his saving mission, to become fishers of men, and this is offered to us too. We see a cycle then. We submit to God in obedience, acknowledging that we can do nothing without Him. He fills us with His presence and His blessings. In humility, we give Him the glory, and He gives us more of His presence, and it goes on. We see a curious paradox as well. We think 
in our worldly thinking that the more we have it together, the healthier we are, the more in control we are of our life, the more smooth sailing we have it all, the more we'll be used and pleasing to God. But the opposite is true. It's our emptiness. It's our lack. It's our frailty and our weaknesses, our complete lack of control of the circumstances of our lives. It's in these things that God can work for his glory. These things are the ideal precondition for faith in God. Because if we had enough health, if we had enough money, enough talent, enough strength and abilities, if we had it all together, then we would be too tempted to put our faith in ourselves, to put our faith in mere clay. And this paradox of rejoicing in our weakness so that God can reveal his power more is expressed beautifully in the lines of a song. I won't sing it for you. I'll just read the words, right? Uh, And the song is one called Faith Enough by a band appropriately entitled Jars of Clay. And it says, the ice is thin enough for walking. The rope is worn enough to climb. My throat is dry enough for talking. The world is crumbling, but I know why. The storm is wild enough for sailing. The bridge is weak enough to cross. This body frail enough for fighting. I'm home enough to know I'm lost. The land unfit enough for planting. Barren enough to conceive. Poor enough to gain the treasure. Enough a cynic to believe. It's just enough to be strong in the broken places. So may we welcome Christ into every part of our lives, submitting to his will and obedience, and humbly being ever conscious of the weakness of our clay, that we may be granted the gift of carrying the priceless treasure that is God himself. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.